Rugby Coach Weekly Podcasts presents Coaching Laid Bare with Lisa Bird Burgess and LJ Lewis. again to the Coaching Laid Bear podcast. It's been a while since we caught up with you but this week we're really delighted to welcome Amy Turner and um, Amy Turner's got a long history and LJ is going to give you a little bit of a background but um, first and foremost LJ how are you doing? How's Patrick? All excited for Christmas I bet running around. Hey Bird yeah he's, uh, he's good we've got the, the elf on the shelf in our house you can actually <laughs> probably see it behind me oh, yes. hiding at the biscuit the naughty elf. <laughs> so we're trying to use that to kind of uh, <laughs> control his behavior <laughs> but yeah all good very excited for Santa um, but yeah very much looking forward to chatting with Amy excellent so I'll, I'll leave you to um, introduce Amy Amy it's great to have you on board and I'll hand you over to LJ now um, so hi Amy before we we get chatting to you I'll just give a little introduction um, before you start talking uh, so Amy Amy played for England uh, and has 59 caps and during those 59 caps, she played 9, 12 and 2, which okay. we can talk about a little bit more as, uh, as we chat. Uh, during her time, she went to three World Cups, two at 15s and one for sevens. She uh, won seven Six Nation Grand Slams. Um, oh. And alongside her international career, she played for Wasps from 2003 to 2007. She played for Richmond 2007 to 2016, and then she retired at Quinns, where she played from 2016 to 2018. And alongside her playing career, uh, she was a police officer <clears throat> for 10 years. Six years of that, she was a constable, and for four years, she was police staff. Um, and then in 2018, she made a career change, and she um, became the performance pathway officer for the South, working for the RFU um, and alongside that as well she was coaching um, Hackney men um, and then she was appointed in 2019 the England under 20s head coach and most recently wow. she's been accepted onto the internship through World Rugby working alongside the senior team which again we're going to talk a little bit more about as we as we talk so wow. um Welcome, Amy. Hopefully, I did you justice and uh, put well, everything I've across a, there. I've been a busy lady. That that gave me a headache listening to that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really, really pleased to be here. Thank you. And um, how's life for you at the moment? All good? Yeah, really good. Um, looking forward to Christmas. I've had a a, a busy couple of months uh, with under 20s and sort of managing my time in with the seniors through the autumn internationals which was amazing through this internship with world rugby so being very busy but in such a positive uh, way in terms of my learning I'm feeling very grateful for the experiences I've had over the last couple of months so but very much in need of Santa Claus to come down my chimney. <laughs> very much in need. Only if you've been good though, are you on the good list? Yeah, I've, been, I've been very, very good. Perfect. An angel, an angel. Well, I an hope angel. he brings you plenty of presents. Oh, <laughs> um, so before we get stuck into some of the rugby, um, I just want to find out a little bit more about your career in the police, probably 
good place to start before we start delving into the rugby side of things and, and then ultimately coaching. Um, but what was your kind of decision to move into the police? Why, why take a career down that route to start with? Well, actually, and I don't think I've ever admitted this to you, anyone on any form of social media or media i i was a first lg (laughs) i was a police cadet so when i was 15 um i was sort of doing my work experience and i i managed to get work experience i don't know how but with a, a a policing liaison officer who worked for a safe neighborhood team and i loved it um, we did uh, a couple of nights at our local police station, I say nights, but evenings at our local police station, shadowing police officers, and then uh, a week working at um, community-based um, sort of local authority homes and stuff like that with the, the a policing team from a safe neighbourhood. So I loved it, basically, and that, that made me join uh, police cadets at the age of 15. I think I did that for about a year, year and a half. And then as soon as I sort of finished university and um, recognised that I needed to have a career in place, um, it was just a natural evolution for me to join. Um, I wanted to be somewhere where I was interacting with people and it was different and dynamic every day. I knew that from a young age. Um, So policing is, and I've got family in the police, so I knew policing was where I wanted to go. So I knew that from a young age, really. And then when you talk about you knew you had to have a career, is that because at that point rugby was, you know, you'd found rugby as well? Or yeah. like when did you find rugby? So I found rugby at under sevens at my local rugby club um, and played all the way through until I had to leave with the boys, which I think was under 13s, under 12s, under 13s. Um, and I loved it. I lived and breathed my local rugby club my parents were the licensee holders so they ran the bar um my mum ran the kitchen on the Saturday and I was there and I used to get pocket money for putting the post out for the first team um and Sunday was all about me playing rugby so I I lived and breathed it my entire um sort of youngster upbringing was all about my local rugby club so I was obviously devastated when I couldn't play with the boys anymore. Um, and there was no girl set up then. That was, you know, before, that was late 90s. Um, so I then had to sort of have a sabbatical from rugby. And then at the age of 16, just by luck, I ended up coming across Rosalind Park women. Um, and they took me under their wing. And from that, I... Um, you know, I, I then progressed through into senior rugby really well. Um, but yeah, rugby for me started from a young age and it was massively a part of my upbringing. Um, yeah, so I kind of knew that I was going to be a police officer because fa- family were in it already. My rugby life was my life as a, a kid growing up. Um, so I knew the two would go hand in hand. Um, but when I finished university, um, I was already picked up as a player and I was on Sport England funding at the time. Um, And I was very lucky to get a career advisor because I would have just happily played rugby and lived off whatever the amount they were giving me from Sport England and just stayed in my parents' house for the rest of my life. Um, But she said, you know, this is not always going to be here. So you need to be thinking about... And we actually talked about being a post... 
uh, a postman so I was thinking about being a postie and I was like I'm I'm destined I'm not destined to be out in the cold delivering letters the whole of my life um so I looked into policing because it was something that I loved anyway um but I went through the policing staff route uh rather than a police officer straight away because I knew my main commitment was rugby and I knew if I was a civilian I'd probably have a better understanding or better scope to get time off um so I went into staffing first um and I was right I I think my second year of being a police staff um I had about 120 days off on special leave because of rugby commitment and they were and and back then that was like 2007 back then they were really accommodating that they had this special leave um that they could give sporting um sporting individuals within the organization and I was I, I was eligible for that so I got a hell of a lot of special leave which didn't touch my annual leave thankfully um so I was able to juggle that but it was all about communicating early and making them aware of when and what that was going to look like um and they were really good but that slowly fizzled out the more um the later on in my career because they didn't have the resource to do that and my commitments kind of changed because of injury and things like that so is there any um would you have any advice I suppose the career advisor was probably quite an important one early on but Mm. any advice on how you balance kind of the career because it was important to have something other than rugby uh, and rugby to the high standard as what you know at that point trying to reach playing senior for the senior team um was there anything that you would say you did that help balance both aspects of life um uh, it was more about having a periphery understanding of what I wanted to do um if you know the wheel fell off and rugby wasn't a thing anymore what what would make me want to get up in the morning and go to work I didn't want to be in something that my heart wasn't in it um and so I was lucky in that aspect that I had that quite early on like I actually knew that I wanted to be policing so I knew that was that was always going to be a periphery but I had no intention of um, doing that as early as what I did I, I think I joined the police at like 23 but what happened was I, I we at Sport England took um, funding away and I was just finishing off university which if I'm quite honest I, I flunked quite badly and I was like like this is real now um yeah. so probably first of all I wasn't that balanced I was all about rugby and playing rugby but a set uh, events made me recognize that balance and planning outweighed anything that I was doing in my life if I I can't just do one thing and just wait until that falls off and then go oh no I need to do another it was a, a little bit of a an, an awakening and then from that point I just made sure that communication with the people that I needed to communicate was key and planning and that planning didn't come natural to me um, and it probably still doesn't isn't an actual attribute of mine but I work really hard at it because I'm very aware that uh, it's not a natural thing for me so um yeah if I was to give advice to someone about route mapping your career as a rugby player 
you've got to have a plan B and C where rugby isn't involved. Um, and A, what does that look like? What, what inspires you away from rugby? And B, is, it, is that something that you can make a career out of? Um, so definitely having B and C as a plan and recognising that early um, yep. so that you, you don't come unstuck and have surprises along the way. And I was very fortunate. I had a bit of a scare and then I, I, was, I was already in the system. So I had people to help me then plan and that's how I've been. So yeah, have a plan B and C. If A's rugby, you need to have a plan B and C and you need to work that into your life alongside the rugby so that if the wheel does fall off, you're in a position to keep moving forward positively in whatever that looks like. Sometimes though you need something to happen, don't you, before oh yeah you're gonna react. Like you don't always listen to those people around you in that moment. Like and Bird, you obviously you're a teacher. I'm sure you experience that with a lot of your students, but you need to have like a like you say, a bit of a scare and then, oh okay, I better get myself myself organized and communicate with people and plan and all those life skills that actually we all need no matter what we're doing yeah no I think that's brilliant advice you know that plan b and c because um you know god we were all young once and we think we're pretty much invincible and you know we want to do that and we're going to do that and that's what all that matters but you know as we grow older we realize that actually there's more to that more to life than that and you know having those other plans to support and that, that advice that you get is um really spot on there aim and, you know, the fact you you didn't, you know, you've just admitted like university wasn't wasn't necessarily the right place there for you. And, and yet you realised is actually what I really want to do is this and, and actually sitting down and thinking, what do I get up for? What makes me tick? And that's really important to find something you love. So every day you can get up and you really enjoy what you do. So I think that's really good advice about sitting down and really thinking, because we all know that unfortunately in rugby, things happen. And if you get an injury that takes you out, you need something back. To, to rely on so I think that's really good advice to all all young people that are listening is to have those plans in place you know and really think about what you want to do with your life because it is important yeah definitely and uh, just lastly on that like the reason I changed from being police staff to a police officer is because of injury I had a really quite a nasty uh, knee injury and I knew it was going to take me out of rugby for about 15 18 months um so that then gave me uh, the scenario happened. So my refocus went into my career pathway um, and I ended up going into um, policing as a constable. Um, and I committed to that because I was ready to commit to that because I knew my my injury would have been if I was to come back from that would be great. But it's not a guarantee. So I that's the reason why I ended up going from police staff into being a police constable because in my career and what had happened to me it was the most appropriate thing to keep me moving forward my plan b um so it, it is really important that players do have that because it's the nature of the game isn't it things it's so dynamic yeah. things change very quickly yeah, I know. Absolutely. Well, you know, God, and what a successful career you've had as a result of that. And, you know, I was really interested to hear about your local rugby club. What was what was the name of your local rugby club? You didn't say. Uh, it was Kingston Rugby Club. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I lived born and bred in, in Kingston upon Thames um, my entire life. Well, that's and, a big, uh, big shout out there for Kingston. Yeah, yeah. My um, brother started off playing first and I went down and I was like wow I want to get that muddy I think <laughs> um, so uh, 
<laughs> my parents um it was easy for them then so they yeah. off they got they let me go and play and just loved it or yeah. just didn't get enough of it and how things are changing now hey that you know it's, it's brilliant and I know we're going to talk about pathways a bit later in this conversation but you know you said you know all of a sudden you got to a certain age that was it you couldn't play and it's like you know now there's so many opportunities for for girls oh. You know, and it's um, as as we all know here, it's so exciting to see now how how rugby's changed for the for the better to give those opportunities to the girls wanting to play. But um, but no, some great advice there in question one. I want to explore a bit now more, aim about you yourself as a player because you know quite unique in the fact you played in the backs and the forwards, starting off at you know at nine scrum half. Well, I don't know if you started there, but then then into the centre and then then playing hooker. Um, quite quite a varied, you know, obviously incredibly skillful as a player. Gosh, I remember you well playing against you and watching you play. Um, but, you know, they're quite um, specialist positions, certainly in terms of skill, nine and, and hooker. So, um, you know, just um, just tell us a little bit about that. Was it was it a positive experience um, for you playing in those different positions as a player? Oh, like for me, I just wanted to be on the pitch. So I didn't care where I was. If I could be on the pitch and play 80 minutes, I'd play on the wing. I would play, at, you know, as a prop, as a hooker, wherever you wanted me, I'd play. But um, so I started off as a hooker um, through all of my sort of minis rugby, junior, junior rugby and my first senior club uh, with Roslyn Park. I was a hooker um, and just by fate, um, our scrum half at Rosen Park um, sustained a bit of a, a nasty injury and we had no other nines at the time. Well, we had a couple, but it was the decision was made that I was going to play nine. Um, and so I was, fate had it, I played nine, I loved it. And um, I kind of got picked up on the radar at regional level at sort of 18, under 17, 18. As, an, as a nine because of that, because they saw me play for Roslyn Park. Um, so that's where my journey for scrum half started. So I picked up nine really late. Uh, and hooker was always my, my first love of the game. Um, and, you know, there were some great players internationally when I first uh, came into uh, the setup as a scrum half. We had Susie Appleby, Emma Mitchell had just retired, and we had Joe Yap, who was captain. And if you see all those three players, and then you look at me, I didn't fit the mould in any way, shape, or form. So even though I had the the, the skill set to play nine, I think it was always a bit of a coach's conundrum whether that was the right position for me because I was, in essence, a forward playing in a in a backs position um I suppose a bit like Lee Mears back in the day um, <laughs> playing 12 you know so um so yeah so I I got sort of jumped around between nine and 12 internationally but I played a lot of my club rugby as a fly half um that again injuries were sustained and I just ended up being in that shape but I didn't care I didn't care where I played I just wanted to play so I played a lot of fly half um for club and nine and twelve um internationally quite a bit early on and then I uh, after 2010 World Cup I Graham Smith was the the head coach at the time and I said you know I my first love was being a hooker and I think my attributes of my game lend itself more to that position than a nine 
um, where the game's going anyway. And uh, he he was very supportive and positive. Um, and I ended up finishing my career internationally there. Um, yeah, so I, I, had a, I had a whale of a time. But also when I played sevens, because I played nine and I knew hooker, it gave me a really... I could play basically two different positions. Uh, the sweeping role within sevens. But I understood it because I'd play nine a lot. Um, but as a hooker, I, you know, I could play that, that position. I loved it at seven. So, yeah, no, I basically put me on a pitch, put me wherever you want, tell me what to do and I'd do it. And that's, I'd be, but that's massive credit to you as well, isn't it? For, I, I mean, that's given you massive grounding and understanding in how all those different positions work and key, key roles, key positions in the games. So, you know, and, and credit to you as well for developing those skill sets. You know, you never sat on your laurels, Amy. You were always, you know, going from a scrum half pass to throwing the ball in. You know, they're great skill sets and, you know, real, real um, good advice to all those girls out there, you know, that are thinking about where do I play? How do I fit in? You know, really finding what, what suits you, what skill, suits your skill attributes, but always pushing yourself to explore other avenues as well. Um, yeah. You know, and, that, that's and it's, an still, it's, it's still getting done today. I think I witnessed Mo Hunt throwing in at a line out. You did. Uh, <laughs> so but that still happens today. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. It, it is uh, no. I, I, my characteristic. I I didn't. I just let everything sort of flow happen. I never got too het up about things. Um, so I was quite. I was. You know. I never was phased by where I played. It didn't stress me out. I just wanted to play. So yeah. I, I can imagine if people, you know, are overthinkers or like clarity and planning, then this is something that you probably is something that you need to have a, have a game plan for or have an understanding that you might be playing in those positions and having communication early but for me I was here there and everywhere and I didn't care yeah and and, and that happens I suppose with age grade which we're all involved in now I know we're going to chat yeah. about that later like I said earlier but you know for some of those youngsters growing up they may start off in a position and then actually progress so maybe starting off in the backs but progressing to front row for example you know and there's there's different positions that suit during their lifestyles but but I think for coaches when we move on to coaches in later life having that real direct understanding of having been there and done it that's invaluable and does that kind of influence you now when you look at the positioning of players you're coaching? Um, yeah uh, it, it doesn't influence me it it has helped me be open-minded so player character like physical attributes might not match their their playing attributes and you shouldn't get fixated on one or the other um you just need to see where their progression comes from it, does their skill set evolve to suit a position do we need to work with them to make sure that their physical characteristics are worked on to enable them to be at their best or vice versa um their skill their skills are or their uh, their physical characteristic lend themselves to another position but their skill set is in something else do we then need to adjust their skill set to work into that what fits them physically so it's being open-minded and understanding uh where what they're doing on the pitch is there is there more potential to be unlocked because of their physical capability or their skill the skill capability can we can we invest time in that to adjust, to put them in the right place? And again, it's, you've got to have an open mind. You've got to be communicative um, with the player 
and you've got to have the support from the coaches away from an under uh, well for me an under 12 but a pathway environment you've got to have the club coaches on board and buying into it and that can sometimes just be the the sticking point because they might have another you know another thought because that doesn't fit into their 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 team dynamic and the players that they've got so they want that player in a different position which is you know that's life but it's it's it is massively about communicating early um being honest and it it being a two-way street and the buying coming from everywhere yeah and I, and I agree with that I think certainly because we're involved in age grade which is like national level when those girls go back to their clubs you know it's like communicating with those clubs making sure that everybody's on the same page like you said because we all know that a club rugby sometimes you know you play in different positions to help your club out but um you know it's, it's being consistent and and getting those messages across to the players as well so no really really good advice there for um you know any young players that are listening and, and really interesting to hear your journey as well as a player um and moving back on to coaching again, do you um do you have any moments that kind of really shaped you in how you approach your coaching when you're dealing with players? Um, obviously, like if in terms of conflict, you know, I I don't think I've ever come across any real conflict situations in coaching. Um, but I I think I recognise I read the room quite well. Like I have a bit of an understanding of body language and that probably comes from my policing like the understanding what what might be felt by the individual because of you know how they present themselves how they're standing or so I I, I guess I have a bit of emotional intelligence um around what people visually present to me um but the the one thing that's the, there's two things that stuck in my head as a player I went into a sevens program alongside, well, with some amazing players. Um, we had two amazing coaches at the time that were looking after us at that sevens, but we were also playing uh, fully committed to the England setup, the England 15 setup, and also fully committed to clubs. So we were working incredibly hard, but, and they knew that, and they, they drove our standard to want it. Um, yeah, so the the buy-in from the coaches and they were so clear with their expectations, they were honest, they had hard conversations when they needed to, um, they worked very closely with a strength and conditioner who looked after our, our physical progressions. Um, and I just never felt so uh, immersed into a programme prior to that point. And it came from honest conversations and buying in remotely to, so it was the first time I learned autonomy, basically. I learned that if I, there was nowhere to hide, if I didn't commit and do what was asked of me away from camp, there was no way that I was going to a, a Sevens World Cup um, and being in camp wasn't enough. Um, so how they were and that, what they set out in terms of their expectations to coaches, and how I, there was nowhere for for me to hide as a player um, to get you know on the plane and get selected. That that honestly was the first time where I recognised I have to be in control of my own development and my own progression, um, and that stuck with me. And I think with um, pathway players, especially at under twenties, 
they're coming towards the end of their their age grade stuff and they're going to be hit into a world of senior rugby and it's going to be no one else's obligation except theirs to take control of their own development Mm. if they want to make elite standard rugby um and to do that you need to have a sense of responsibility on yourself and you need to have the autonomy to to be disciplined enough to go away and work on the things that you really need to work on um so i i do i do have that always in in the back of my mind when having conversations with players when we speak about you know where you know, when we have catch-ups and we th- talk about where they're at or where they think their priorities are to develop next it's always put I, I always try and put back on the players you know it it it's not me telling you what to do and then you do it once or twice it's you actually believing this is what I need to do and this is how I'm going to do it and then we all work with the clubs to ensure that the clubs know the conversations we've had but also how can they develop what they need to develop with the club so it's that's always in the forefront of my mind putting it back on the players to own their own development with the help and support of us but it's not me say you do I'd never want a player to think that that's how they need to be um so I have that in the foot and that that definitely that behavior and that that philosophy I think is probably being shaped by my sevens experience um uh yeah so that that to me is something that's massively shaped my coaching Uh, and also I've got a really I've got a couple of really good mentors who their philosophy are a bit marmite um but I love it because they they challenge me to uh think in different ways to perhaps what I naturally want to think like um Mm. and you know if you say one thing as a coach and you don't do it as a coach so if you expect something of the players and you you don't live and breathe that something that behavior that value that philosophy you're going to get unstuck massively um and last point on this is um um, I've recently gone on to my level four qualification uh coaching qualification and part of that process was a what they call a 360 review and I gave um so you give it to your colleagues you give it to players um and you give it to anyone else who you think will give you an honest answer of the perception of you and how you work anyway so I gave it to some players and one come back just saying just be like be a nice person and be approachable and I I I and she probably didn't say it that harsh like be a nice person but just be approachable like that and it was it she's still in my uh my program at the moment but it just that was my epiphany moment I when I first started coaching as a full-time coach I felt like I needed to be a certain way and a certain person um and ultimately you know I, I've got to be true to myself I am I am that I'm a person that loves human interaction I like to feed off conversations I like to be in amongst a group a team and for the first sort of six seven months of my full-time coaching career I think I thought I had to be a certain way and you know conduct myself and be slightly separate from the players and it's you know 
almost a bit teachery. Um, and <laughs> honestly, and I, yeah. I, you know, I've got no experience of being yeah. a teacher, but I felt like there needed to be that dynamic separation, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this <clears throat> this player just said, and I, funny enough, I was doing a session with her at her university digs. Um, and she was like, oh, yeah, I was the one that said that, by the way. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by that then? What do you mean, like, just be more approachable, be a nicer person? She was just like, you're just a bit scary and you don't need to be. <laughs> and I was like, OK. Um, so, and lo and behold, like, it, it was a bit of a epiphany moment because I, I can just be Amy Turner, the individual, but I'm a coach. I don't need to be yeah. this this fallacy of what I think I, I have to be in my head because I'm now in a position where I'm looking after a group of young people. Um, so I, that for me was an epiphany moment and, an, and a really good developing point for me and my coaching style and philosophy of being, everyone says I'll be authentic, but you, you just have to be yourself. Otherwise yeah. you're never going to have that connection with the true connection that you need from players to get that autonomy and get that buy-in. And this one player had the guts to say that to me, and I'm, it, you know, exceptionally grateful for that um, because it it just it was like a light switch. I was like, of course, like of course, I need to just be me, and it's been it's been better, and I, I feel a lot more comfortable ever since. That's so cool to hear. I um I definitely I've definitely been on that journey myself as well, where you uh you think you have to be something else because you go on courses you apply for jobs and you get knocked back um and I definitely have been knocked back for quite a few jobs and again someone said that to me they were like but it's be just because they don't want you doesn't mean you're not like the right you're not good enough do you know what I mean like still be yourself when you're coaching just because they don't like how you are in that moment doesn't mean that's wrong it's just that's not what they're looking for and I think that's a really really important thing and now um I'm 100% when I coach, try and be myself. Yeah. Like, and even when I have conversations with players, even if it's a, a challenging conversation, I still try and be an element of myself to it because I think that way I'll get what I need out of the player. So I hear a lot of what you're saying, Amy. I think it's, it's mm -hmm. so true. And yeah. even very recently, I had an experience where who I was got really challenged. And I had that moment of, oh my gosh, I've got to change. And it was really recently. And I, and then a couple of weeks went by and reflection and talking to people. And I did a whole 360 of actually, no, <laughs> if you don't like how I am, that's not my problem. That's your problem. I've actually done some really good stuff being me. So I'm going to carry, mm -hmm. carry on being me. Um, so that's really, really positive to hear. And the extreme ownership kind of element of what you're talking about, I think is massive, especially when we look at, pathway and developing players and and stuff like that so I think that again is a massive a massive learning curve and I definitely when I worked at Hartbury <laughs> that teacher am I a teacher or am I a coach that got challenged a lot when I started at Hartbury and I know Bird you saw me in that environment because you do get you did get challenged there right especially with uh, the different age groups and you have to really remember actually I'm your coach and not your teacher and it's good to kind of manage that boundary of I'm your coach but there's a professional line but I'm not your teacher so yeah. you don't need to treat me like that but 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 also I think the nail on the head is but this is who I am 
and you know you've got those boundaries in place because you have to have boundaries in place but you can still be yourself and and that's it and that's great reflection amy i think it was really you know really kind of really interesting i think really valuable to hear what you had to say there so thank you for sharing that with us and i'm just really conscious of your time amy so um i know you do some coaching with the uh, men and uh, men as well as women but i really want to get into the the internship and get a bit on that with you so if we if we kind of move on to that if that's all right um and just get your kind of experiences so far of being in that internship program um and again any kind of learning or things that you're looking forward to being challenged around yeah so um the internship was a massive surprise that came to me i think in september 2000 and where are we now yeah, September 2019. Yeah, 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 2020. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't expecting it, but it was really interesting. So the programme came about because World Rugby did a sort of high performance coaching audit off the back of the 2017 Women's World Cup. And within that audit, I think it worked out that 5% of coaches were female. Um, so they wanted to be able to to change that um so they they came up with this initiative and carol issuewood has been amazing on the program as a point of contact um and she's you know explained and put put me in uh, contact with certain people to make sure that i'm getting supported as i needed i need um so in the internship i went into um so I had a conversation with Simon, Mid- Simon Middleton and he was really happy to have me on board. Like he knew that I was a passionate player when I played internationally. Um, he knew my sort of natural characteristics as a person. I'm, I'd like to think I'm quite easy to get on with and just get on with the job as well. So he was really happy with me being able to come into the programme and actually fit to what the programme needs were and assist in any way and you know in that first uh, autumn internationals last year so we so they had to finish off the six nations and they went into autumn internationals off the back of it so it was um a bit of both and which was it was great because seeing simon uh, and scott uh run that program um and work with the players was for me like it was a great gauge to see where I was at, where my thought processes were and where, um, and how they, how they delivered or how they approached their delivery in that environment. Um, and it was just good to see, and I'm definitely mucked in and they definitely gave me opportunities to work with the players, but the players have evolved so much from when I played, like their application to task, their, their, their intelligence to the game, um and the the autonomy they have in and out of camp so they have standards they expect that standard throughout um and they're very you know they're very very um like i say in it's enjoyable to work with a group of players like that because they're so detailed they actually challenge your detail um which is again brilliant i think as a coach to be challenged by the best in the game is only going to make you better as a coach and if you go away from a conversation going oh god i didn't you know that's i didn't know that i think that's brilliant so uh, for me the 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 most enjoyment came out of working with the best players in the country 
uh, and the detail that they know. Um, and I, like I, I learned massive from that first time, even to this second time, there was an evolution of how they applied themselves to their physical capability, how they applied themselves to what the coaches wanted um, and the objectives of that, that series um, that we just come out of the, the autumns, with, which they won comprehensively against New Zealand twice, um, Canada and USA, like how those players applied themselves to every task, physically what they did um and the detail in which they did it I think is world leading and that comes down to I think them that you know they're doing what they say they're going to do in and out of camp and that's why they're the best but also they've got a, a really good group of coaches who are clear in what they expect they're clear in how they want to play the game and they're and they're clear in where that fits with the roles and responsibilities of players and it's it's a really ba I say it's a basic recipe it's a basic recipe done to a world-class standard and as a result of that they're in you know and rightly so they're in such a, a good place as a an outfit um, but to be a part of that and to be privy to conversations to be privy to work with players in that environment I think for me um yeah very grateful for that internship um, you, um go on is any of that um oh, I can't I probably know the answer to this but everyone else wouldn't is any of that um helping you trickle it into the and the 20s program the pathway yes most most definitely like don't get me wrong um you know you can't mimic some of the stuff they're doing and that's not what under 20s is about but it's aligning um, basic, basic things which will help the players understand what it means to be a senior international player. But also it then gives you, it almost gives you as a coach, so you see where the players' capability are at senior level. You see where the game plan is. You can then go, okay, so how can we, how can we break that glass ceiling with the players that we've got? So what do we need to do to make them surpass the capabilities of those players? Yes, there's a bit about around physical maturity and they, they need certain exposures to be able to comprehend with, uh, to compete with that kind of level of physicality. Um, but in terms of skill set game plan what can we do to enable those players to explore beyond the boundaries of what the seniors are playing and that for me I think is a brilliant insight I know where the players are at and how they play and it's wicked but what can we do with players at our pathway level to be like okay these are what the current players are doing let's work on this so that that's a given and then we're looking to take that that to the next level um I think is really exciting that's what I love about the under 20s you try and push the boundaries of the players in it so that when they get into the senior world they are surpassing the players that have previous be, previously been and I think that's really important to have that philosophy I know I know that it's happening because <laughs> yeah. I see it but yeah I wanted to I wanted to get that out of you but yeah definitely I see it happening and I think that is the challenge of the pathway isn't it is to um 
prepare players to take that next step but also because the base we want the base to be wide not all those players are going to make it so they filter back into the game so the game continues to get better as well and yeah. I think that's always something to think about when you're you're in the pathway as well not everyone's going to make it into that that top spot but they are going to go hopefully if we give them a great experience back into the, the game and the top top club game so 100 yeah. percent, and I, honestly that for me is the main driver we've got a group of players they need to be at this standard we want them to surpass that standard how can we get there what can we yeah. do um how can we engage them how can we give them the opportunity to then go away develop further work with the clubs yeah i, do, I if you don't have, i I'm, I'm a really strong believer if you don't have that and you're just fixated on the next game or the next fixture or the small yeah. bits um so failure in essence you've got to be comfortable with failure as a coach because that's what you're trying to you're trying to achieve them to push the boundary so to do that they've got to fail and they've got to try stuff that isn't being tried anywhere else and that's really important and my mentor with my internship program um is brian ashton and he he lives and breathes that like um futuristic player what can we do to make those players of the future now what do we need to do how can we do that what practices are being done and he's very marmite you know not everyone uh has his philosophy but from a development point of view um at a, an age grade level i think it's really really good to have a bit of that philosophy in you to truly get progression from players yeah Definitely. I'm just going to jump in there because this has been so enthralling to listen to. And I think you're right, you know, because these players have got to have those aspirations. The game of rugby will always evolve. It's always evolving. And how can we get those players up to that level? And just listening to you there, you know, pushing those glass ceilings and accepting there's going to be failure, but also it's for some of the players, but also they're going to push those boundaries. It's just brilliant to hear because otherwise, you know, they're not going to develop to outplay and outskill, outmaster the players that are in place. So thanks for that insight, Amy. That was brilliant. And Els, I know, Amy, you've got to go because we, we kept you over your time. So um, it's before been... you go, can you do, I've got a quick three, Christmas quick three. Okay. Would you rather? I'll be really quick. Do you want to do it, Bird? Yes. Go on. Okay. The Christmas quick three. So would you, do you rather Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Christmas Day. Oh, I love Christmas Eve. Ah, <laughs> I love Christmas um, Eve. <clears throat> Christmas pudding or chocolate Yule log? Pudding. Christmas pudding. Oh, yes, God. Amy. No. Oh, <laughs> Brandy sauce. And then, and then it's a current debate in our house with uh, my little boy at the moment, what we're leaving for Santa. So do you leave mince pies or cookies? Mince pies. Mince pies. Yeah. He's telling me I've got to leave cookies. I thought mince pies too. He sounds yeah. a bit American there, Elch. I know. Patrick, <laughs> Patrick wants to eat the cookies. Not <laughs> yeah. That's more like it. Anyway. Oh. Oh, Amy, Amy, it's been brilliant. I know you've got to go. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. It's been great to talk to you. We could have chatted more, but thank yeah, you. Good luck with the pathway. For thank, everything you, you're doing. thank you for having me on. Loved it. Love to chat. <laughs> <laughs> thank I'll you take so much. I'll see you soon. Thank see you so Amy. much, Amy. Bye. Bye. Bye.
so that's it for this um, podcast. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you want to hear more, please visit rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button, button to visit the women's section. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with another guest before Christmas. But in the meantime, if you don't, if you don't get a chance to log on again, have a great Christmas. Enjoy the celebrations and stay safe. Keep well and look forward to seeing you all again in the new year. Thank you. Thank you.